I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we finish the book of Ezekiel, the last three chapters, chapters 46 through 48. This is the new King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. We begin with the prince and the feast, verse 1. Thus says the Lord God, the gateway of the inner court that faces toward the east shall be shut the six working days, but on the Sabbath it shall be opened, and on the day of the new moon it shall be opened. The prince shall enter by way of the vestibule of the gateway from the outside and stand by the gatepost. The priest shall prepare his burnt offering and his peace offerings. He shall worship at the threshold of the gate. Then he shall go out, but the gate shall not be shut until evening." Likewise, the people of the land shall worship the entrance to this gateway before the Lord on the Sabbaths and on the new moons. The burnt offering that the prince offers to the Lord on the Sabbath day shall be six lambs without blemish and a ram without blemish. And the grain offering shall be one ephah for a ram and the grain offering for the lambs as much as he wants to give, as well as a hint of oil with every ephah. On the day of the new moon it shall be a young bull without blemish, six lambs and a ram, they shall be without blemish. He shall prepare a grain offering of an ephah for a bull, an ephah for a ram, as much as he wants to give for the lambs, and a hen of oil with every ephah. When the prince enters, he shall go in by way of the vestibule of the gateway, and go out the same way. But when the people of the land come before the Lord on the appointed feast days, whoever enters by way of the north gate to worship shall go out by way of the south gate, and whoever enters by way of the south gate shall go out by way of the north gate. He shall not return by way of the gate through which he came, but shall go out through the opposite gate. The prince shall then be in their midst. When they go in, he shall go in, and when they go out, he shall go out. At the festivals and the appointed feast days, the grain offering shall be an ephah for a bull, an ephah for a ram, as much as he wants to give for the lambs, and a hint of oil with every ephah. Now when the prince makes a voluntary burnt offering or voluntary peace offering to the Lord, the gate that faces toward the east shall then be opened for him, and he shall prepare his burnt offering and his peace offerings as he did on the Sabbath day. Then he shall go out, and after he goes out, the gate shall be shut. You shall daily make a burnt offering to the Lord of a lamb of the first year without blemish. You shall prepare it every morning. And you shall prepare a grain offering with it every morning, a sixth of an ephah, and a third of a hen of oil to moisten the fine flour." This grain offering is a perpetual ordinance to be made regularly to the Lord. Thus they shall prepare the lamb, the grain offering, and the oil as a regular burnt offering every morning. Thus says the Lord God, If the prince gives a gift of some of his inheritance to any of his sons, it shall belong to his sons. It is their possession by inheritance. But if he gives a gift of some of his inheritance to one of his servants, it shall be his until the year of liberty, after which it shall return to the prince." But his inheritance shall belong to his sons, it shall become theirs. Moreover, the prince shall not take any of the people's inheritance by evicting them from their property. He shall provide an inheritance for his sons from his own property, so that none of my people may be scattered from his property. Now he brought me through the entrance, which was at the side of the gate, into the holy chambers of the priests, which faced toward the north. 
and there a place was situated at their extreme western end. And he said to me, This is the place where the priest shall boil the trespass offering and the sin offering, and where they shall bake the grain offering, so that they do not bring them out into the outer court to sanctify the people. Then he brought me out into the outer court and caused me to pass by the four corners of the court, and in fact, in every corner of the court there was another court. In the four corners of the court were enclosed courts, forty cubits long and thirty wide. All four corners were the same size. There was a row of building stones all around in them, all around the four of them, and cooking hearths were made under the rows of stones all around. And he said to me, These are the kitchens where the ministers of the temple shall boil the sacrifices of the people. Well, this chapter contains some offering information that will take place during the millennium. Remember, it's a Jewish period on earth, Sabbath-keeping, sacrifices, all in memorial. Just as these practices in the Old Testament looked forward to the finished work of Christ, these will be a memorial of that which has already been done. Do you recall all of those offerings specified in the Mosaic Law in Leviticus chapters 1-7? through 7? Well, they're back. Now, here's more evidence demonstrating that the prince here serves under the Messiah and that he's not actually the Messiah, Jesus. Look at verses 16 and 18 with regard to the sons of the prince. Jesus, the Messiah, will not have sons. Also take note of the phrase in verse 18 when it says, The prince shall not take any of the people's inheritance by evicting them from their property. No such admonition is necessary for the Messiah, Jesus. Obviously, this is a reference to a leader who will serve under the Messiah. Now, if you want to know more about that, then look at the notes on Ezekiel chapter 44, verses 1 through 14. So let's make certain that we are clear here. The prince of the millennium is a man and not the Messiah. He may have children, and he does take part in making sacrifices. Now, I'd want you to take note of the verses regarding the identity of this prince from Ezekiel chapter 34 and Ezekiel chapter 37. First, let me read you two verses from Ezekiel 34, verses 23 and 24. Here's what Ezekiel prophesied. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And then verse 24, And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now let's look at Ezekiel chapter 37 and two more verses, verses 24 and 25. David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Now verse 25. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there, they, their children, and their children's children forever, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. Now, it's a difficult concept, but David is referenced as the prince in the millennium according to Ezekiel's prophecy. Based upon what we know to be the Messiah's part in the millennium, we can only conclude that David serves under the Messiah. Now, let's look at it from another perspective for a moment. Did Ezekiel know that David was dead when he wrote this prophecy? Well, of course he knew. David had been dead for some 400 years or so. Did Ezekiel mean David, or did he mean a descendant of David? Well, on this one, I can only tell you what he said, and what he said was David himself. Like all believers, David will have a resurrected body. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced that he does already. Now, look at my article entitled Paradise Relocated to get more details there. However, we don't usually assume that resurrected bodies have progenitors, as is indicated in verse 16. 
And on this one, I guess we'll just all have to wait to see for ourselves. It's clear from this chapter that the Sabbath and the observance of the new moon will be part of the worship ritual during the millennium. Here we are given some detail regarding the role of the prince in these observances. And here's another mention of sacrifices being made. And we explain that in the summary on chapter 43. These sacrifices will be reflective of the finished work of Christ on the cross. You'll notice in that summary that we have references to other prophets who also spoke of the resumption of sacrifices during that same period, the period of the millennium. And again, go back and review the notes on chapter 43 for more details there. Then we have a river coming out of the temple. Chapter 47, beginning with verse 1. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gateway that faces east, and there was water running out on the right side. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through the waters. The water came up to my ankles. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters. The water came up to my knees. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through. The water came up to my waist. Again, he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep, water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. When I returned, there along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. Then he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley, and enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the rivers go, will live. There will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there, for they will be healed, and everything will live wherever the river goes. It shall be that fishermen will stand by it from En-Gedi to En-Eglaim. They will be places for spreading their nets. Their fish will be of the same kinds as the fish of the great sea, exceedingly many. But its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be given over to salt." Along the bank of the river on this side and that will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their waters flow from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. Now here's the description of a river that originates from the temple and goes all the way east to the Dead Sea. We see that in verse 8. The Dead Sea won't be dead anymore. Verse 8 goes on to say the waters are healed. That's because of the water supply that will flow then into it during the millennium. A river just beaming with life, according to verse 10. Then it'll be known as the Living Sea, formerly known as the Dead Sea, I guess. Oh, one more thing. Trees, healthy, thriving trees growing on the banks of this river. Good for their fruit and even for medicinal purposes. And why is that, you ask? Well, verse 12 says, Because there are waters, they issued out of the sanctuary. Joel also mentions this river in Joel chapter 3, verse 18, when he says, And it will come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drip with new wine, the hills shall flow with milk, and all the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. A fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord, and water the valley of Acacias. Zechariah 14, 8 says about that river, And in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea, 
and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur. Zechariah points out that the river actually runs both east and west out of the temple. Toward the west it empties into the Mediterranean Sea. It would appear that the water from this river adds longevity and health to life itself. Although this is not the same as the river found in Revelation 22, the similarity is worth noting. Revelation 22 speaks of the New Jerusalem after the millennium when there is no temple. But notice what is said in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. It says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So it does seem as though this Millennium River serves the same purpose as that which shall be located in the New Jerusalem. It's for healing. In chapter 47, verses 13 to 23, we have some land distribution specifications. Verse 13. Thus says the Lord God, These are the borders by which you shall divide the land as an inheritance among the twelve tribes of Israel. Joseph shall have two portions. You shall inherit it equally with one another, for I raised my hand in an oath to give it to your fathers, and this land shall fall to you as your inheritance. This shall be the border of the land on the north, from the great sea by the road Hethlon, as one goes to Zedad, Hamath, Barathah, Sibraim, which is between the border of Damascus and the border of Hamath, to Hazor Hadakon, which is on the border of Haran. Thus the boundary shall be from the sea to Hazor Enon, the border of Damascus, and as for the north, northward, it is the border of Hamath. This is the north side. On the east side you shall mark out the border from between Haran and Damascus, and between Gilead and the land of Israel along the Jordan and along the eastern side of the sea, this is the east side. The south side toward the south shall be from Tamar to the waters of Meribah by Kadesh, along the brook to the great sea. This is the south side toward the south. The west side shall be the great sea from the southern boundary until one comes to a point opposite Hamath. This is the west side. Thus you shall divide this land among yourselves according to the tribes of Israel. It shall be that you will divide it by lot as an inheritance for yourselves and for the strangers who dwell among you and who bear children among you. They shall be to you as native born among the children of Israel. They shall have an inheritance with you among the tribes of Israel. And it shall be that in whatever tribe the stranger dwells, there you shall give him his inheritance, says the Lord God. Well, you'll notice that the land distribution is not the same as that in Joshua. Look at the passage in Joshua chapter 19 to see what I mean. According to this passage, the boundaries described extend from the vicinity of Damascus on the north, just below the Dead Sea on the south, the Mediterranean Sea on the west, and the Jordan River on the east. The tribes will have land allocations that go from the east to the west all the way across the land. According to chapter 48 verse 1, Israel's millennium occupation will extend all the way up into Syria, 170 miles or so north of the Sea of Galilee. If you're looking at the written notes of BibleTrack.org, you'll notice the map to the right to see the general land assignments as specified in this passage. You'll notice between the tribes of Judah and Benjamin is located a tribal-sized area for the prince, the temple, the priest, and the other Levites. Chapter 47, verse 23 tells us that Gentiles in the millennium will receive a portion of land alongside Jews, 
While the tribal allocations are specified, the land within the tribal allotments will be divided by lot, just as it was in Joshua chapter 19, and that's in chapter 47, verse 22 here. You'll notice another commendation for Zadok in verse 11. Only his descendants are charged with the priesthood. The other Levites will do temple maintenance. This isn't actually unique to the millennium. The prophetic decree was originally issued back in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 27 to 36. That's back when Eli's boys were killed by God. We don't see its implementation until Solomon becomes king in 1 Kings chapter 2, 27 and verse 35 of that chapter. That's when the priesthood was actually narrowed to only the descendants of Zadok, eliminating the descendants of Abiathar from that point forward. Technically, however, Abiathar's ancestors were to have already been eliminated from serving as priest, and that goes all the way back to Numbers chapter 25, verses 11 through 13. That's when it was decreed that priests from that time forward would come only from the line of Aaron's grandson, Phinehas. Not even Eli in 1 Samuel was a descendant of Phinehas, That prophecy took a long time before fulfillment, but it was fulfilled. In Ezekiel chapter 48, we have the land distribution to the tribes of Israel. Verse 1. Now these are the names of the tribes from the northern border along the road to Hethlon at the entrance of Hamath to Hazar-Enon, the border of Damascus northward. In the direction of Hamath, there shall be one section for Dan from its east to its west side. By the border of Dan from the east side to the west, one section for Asher. By the border of Asher from the east side to the west, one section for Naphtali. By the border of Naphtali from the east side to the west, one section for Manasseh. By the border of Manasseh from the east side to the west side, one section for Ephraim. By the border of Ephraim from the east side to the west, one section for Reuben. By the border of Reuben from the east side to the west, one section for Judah. By the border of Judah from the east side to the west shall be the district which you shall set apart, 25,000 cubits in width, and in length the same as one of the other portions, from the east side to the west, with the sanctuary in the center. The district that you shall set apart for the Lord shall be 25,000 cubits in length and 10,000 in width. To these, to the priests, the holy district shall belong. On the north, 25,000 cubits in length. On the west, 10,000 in width on the east 10,000 in width, and on the south 25,000 in length. The sanctuary of the Lord shall be in the center. It shall be for the priests of the sons of Zadok who are sanctified, who have kept my charge, who did not go astray when the children of Israel went astray, as the Levites went astray. And this district of land that is set apart shall be to them a thing most holy by the border of the Levites. Opposite the border of the priests, the Levites shall have an area 25,000 cubits in length, and 10,000 in width, its entire length shall be 25,000, and its width 10,000. And they shall not sell or exchange any of it. They may not alienate this best part of the land, for it is holy to the Lord. The 5,000 cubits in width that remain along the edge of the 25,000 shall be for general use by the city for dwellings and common land, and the city shall be in the center. These shall be its measurements, the north side 4,500 cubits the south side 4,500, the east side 4,500, and the west side 4,500. The common land of the city shall be to the north 250 cubits, to the south 250, to the east 250, and to the west 250. The rest of the length alongside the district of the holy section shall be 10,000 cubits to the east and 10,000 to the west. 
It shall be adjacent to the district of the holy section, and its produce shall be food for the workers of the city. The workers of the city from all the tribes of Israel shall cultivate it. The entire district shall be 25,000 cubits by 25,000 cubits, four square. You shall set apart the holy district with the property of the city. The rest shall belong to the prince on one side and on the other of the holy district and of the city's property next to the 25,000 cubits of the holy district as far as the eastern border and westward next to the 25,000 as far as the western border adjacent to the tribal portions. It shall belong to the prince. It shall be the holy district, and the sanctuary of the temple shall be in the center. Moreover, apart from the possession of the Levites and the possession of the city, which are in the midst of what belongs to the prince, the area between the border of Judah and the border of Benjamin shall belong to the prince. As for the rest of the tribes from the east side to the west, Benjamin shall have one section. By the border of Benjamin from the east side to the west, Simeon shall have one section. By the border of Simeon from the east side to the west, Issachar shall have one section. By the border of Issachar from the east side to the west, Zebulun shall have one section. By the border of Zebulun from the east side to the west, Gad shall have one section. By the border of Gad on the south side toward the south, the border shall be from Tamar to the waters of Meribah by Kadesh along the brook to the great sea. This is the land which ye shall divide by lot as an inheritance among the tribes of Israel, and these are their portions, says the Lord God. Well, there's not much to add to this passage. Here we see slices of the land allocated to the tribes of Israel from one coast to the other, and look at the map on the page of the written notes to see exactly what I mean. Then there's the city in chapter 48, verses 30 to 35. Verse 30, These are the exits of the city. On the north side, measuring 4,500 cubits, the gates of the city shall be named after the tribes of Israel. The three gates northward, one gate for Reuben, one gate for Judah, and one gate for Levi. On the east side, 4,500 cubits, three gates, one gate for Joseph, one gate for Benjamin, and one gate for Dan. On the south side, measuring 4,500 cubits, three gates, one gate for Simeon, one gate for Issachar, and one gate for Zebulun. On the west side, 4,500 cubits with their three gates, one gate for Gad, one gate for Asher, and one gate for Naphtali. All the way around shall be 18,000 cubits. The name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. Well, not much detail is given here. It doesn't say that this city is actually Jerusalem. Could be. The notable aspect of the description is the name given to the city. The name is the Lord is there. The city will have 12 gates, three on each side. These gates will bear the names of the 12 tribes of Israel as specified in verses 31 to 34. The actual 12 sons of Jacob. It certainly sounds like Jerusalem. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton.